This strikes me as, uh, as sort of, I'm not sure what to make of it, but it's interesting that this is the last time that you plan to have services, last sermon in here, and for some, whatever reason, I didn't have a clue that that might happen, but uh, you might wonder about our choice of a name. Uh, and and there, uh, some time ago, there are three families of us down in Alabama. We're sort of out away from any Anabaptist type background churches. And, and uh, so we asked uh, Dale Gish, I'm sure you know who, he, who that is. We asked him for some advice and he said, one of the first things you need to do is choose a name. Choose a name for your fellowship. So I thought, that's about as easy as anything could be. But, uh, you know, when we sat down and started, started thinking about different names, we had more, we had more, a, a wider variety of names than I ever thought we'd come up with. And we had to, we had to choose one of them, and we ended up choosing, since we're out there like, a, like, a, like an outpost, we thought that would be a good one. Uh, we, we all liked that outpost, part of the Kingdom Fellowship, but an outpost, way out there. <clears throat> okay, we're in a time uh, where all human beings we're in a time now like uh, there probably never was quite. Uh, sometimes, if you if you look at if you look at there's one especially that I'd like to look at of the churches in in Revelation that God spoke to, sent a letter to. And that's the church of Laodicea. We are in a time, a Laodicean time. Uh, and since we're, since we're in this time, I thought there's probably no better thing for me to take as, a, as, as sort of the text. And there's, uh, I'll, I want to say something up front, and that is, I came under conviction a number of years ago that, that I am too much of a Laodicean. And I don't have the kind of love for God that I should have, that he deserves. Well, what can I do? How can I get where I should be? As far as that goes, I don't think I'll ever get where I should be. As, uh, it, it's, always, uh, it's always like Paul said, uh, reaching forth unto those things, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That, that, I'm confident that's where we all are. But one thing that I'd like to, like to stress is the importance of the Word of God. And when I, 
when I, when I say the Word of God, I'm not excluding the Spirit that works through that Word. That's all part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, but for me, and, and probably everybody could find themselves sort of more or less in the same, in the same shoes, uh, how can I go about to, to how, what can I do to increase my love toward God? And the only thing, I can't, I, I can't turn a crank and do it. I can't press a button and do it. I can't, I'm, I'm basically left without anything excepting to get into the Word and meditate on what He did for me. And, and the, more, the more we do that and the more that hits our heart. It has to come through our mind, but it has to hit our heart. And the more it does that, the more it wakes up a love toward him for what he did for me. And the more, uh, the more the word comes alive, the more it speaks to me. When I open it up to read something, to sp- like for a, a worship time or a devotional time or whatever you want to call it, the more it speaks to me. Okay, I want to read the letter to the Laodiceans. Unto the angel of the church. This is in, in the third chapter, verse 14 of Revelations. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. <clears throat> One of the things that... that Last year, a year before, I don't remember when, I, I, I looked up all these names. And the, and the name Laodicea has an interesting meaning. All of them do, as far as that goes. But Laodicea is the rule of the people. And look what happened when the people rule. When, when people run the show, Jesus Christ was outside. They didn't have room for him. He was outside. When people run the show, that's what happens. 
when we take our our own way instead of instead of uh, of following in our commitment to Him. He says, He says, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, that means something like either spit out or vomit out. <clears throat> he says. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. If you dig into the history of Laodicea, that these, some of these things come more alive. And one of them is, he says, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That had happened just shortly before. Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. And Caesar sent word that he would help them to rebuild. He would furnish, he would help them financially. They sent word back, we don't need your help. We can handle it ourselves. We are rich. We got enough. And so they refused his help. And he says, and have need of nothing, and knowest not. When people are, when people become overwhelmed with, 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 Material things. They can be poor and blind and naked and not know it. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And here's another one. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. That was one of the sources of income at Laodicea, they had a mineral springs and, and that they used as a basis for a salve they made, an eye salve. And, and it brought in huge sums of money. And, and, and he points that out. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see, instead of being blind. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Zealous is, uh, a zeal is the opposite of the Laodicean lukewarmness. <clears throat> he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I always thought that was one of, the, one of the most beautiful word pictures in the whole scripture. I stand at the door and knock. He does not kick down the door. He leaves it for us to make that choice. He does, he does not force the devil can't force, and, and Jesus, God will not force. He wants people who choose. Like it says in, I should maybe, maybe uh, a little bit, I know, I'm sure that everybody knows the, the uh, what, I, what I'd like to say, and that is, we are here on earth, God put us here for a reason, and, and he he asks us to choose. I've often struggled with the idea that, that of, the, of the indescribable difference between those who are saved for eternity and those who are lost. It's, it, it's something we can't even grasp. The difference is so great we can't even grasp. But when you stop and think, the only thing that makes sense or did for me was those who go their own way, refuse to repent, are making that choice. And he honors your choice. He honors your choice. And if you make the choice, if you choose the enemy 
to serve the enemy, which by extension, when you choose to serve your flesh, that's what you're choosing. When I choose to take my own way, I'm choosing to serve the devil. And by the way, the devil is the biggest fool the universe ever saw to think that he could rise up and, and overpower God. But, uh, and, and the angels that chose their part with him, if I understand it right, I, I, the angels that took part with him are the, what we know as devils. Uh, and anyway, I don't want to go too deep into that, but this is what we're up against. A, a, a being that is super smart, and at the same time, the biggest fool the universe ever saw. He's super smart. And on our own, we, we, we're not able to stand against his tricks. But under the blood of Jesus Christ, a, a, a small child can stand against him. When they, when they realize their position under the blood... For us now to go through life and enter into eternity on the wrong side of the judgment is the most horrible thing that can happen. And by the way, the gospel is, is described so much as the good news. And that's true. But it's only part of the truth. Gospel means just simply the word of God. And the word of God is, is horrible news for those who take their own way. It's, it, it tells them they're going to be damned. They're going to land in the lake of fire. It doesn't get any worse than that. But it, 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 when you realize what that means and you turn and repent, it becomes the best news in the universe. It's both sides. We need to remember that it's two-sided. It's not just one-sided. And when we, when we say the gospel is the good news, it's true, but it's only part of the truth. Okay, I want to go to Deuteronomy for that point about our choice. Deuteronomy 30. Uh, probably verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That's what he says to every human being that, that comes into this earth. Choose life. And, and the, only, the only way that you can possibly go... And, and, and not choose life, the only way you can turn your back upon that is if you don't believe it. And therefore, the, our, our beliefs are tremendously important. What we believe. If we, can, if we really believe what, what he says, what, when, 
the creator of the universe has given us this book, and it's, a, it's not, not an ordinary book. No matter what people say, uh, this is not an ordinary book. There's life and death in it. And he says, therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. He says, choose life. And when you, when you choose to accept for, for saving faith, your acceptance has to include a commitment to obedience for it to be a saving faith. Uh, we don't earn our salvation. That's clear. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. There's no way we can earn it. But at the same time, it will be followed by obedience. Uh, <clears throat> it, there was a, to illustrate what I'm trying to say, uh, we're in a time when that is, when that is taught, that uh, when, you, when you accept Christ, it doesn't matter how you live from there on, you're a child of God anyway. That is taught to the point... Uh, <clears throat> Some years ago, when Clinton was president, and he set such a bad example, morally, he was a Southern Baptist. There were a bunch of, of his church that, that, that pushed to excommunicate him. They said, this man is such a sinner, we can't have him as a member of our denomination. And the, the elders in the church said, no, he's a child of God. He, he prayed the prayer of commitment way back there. He's a child of God. We can't do that. That is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Another example of that sort, uh, there was a Christian missionary. Some of you would probably remember the, the man named Mahatma Gandhi, the ruler. He was, for, for a period of time, he was prime minister of the country of India. He was a... He was a he would have been, if he'd have been a Christian, he would have been an outstanding example in a lot of ways. His self-denying life and so on. Uh, as a young man, he was, he was not satisfied with Hinduism. He, he thought, there has to be something better than this. He came into contact with a Christian missionary who openly, I say Christian, who openly lived in sin, and when, when Gandhi asked him about it, he said, it doesn't matter how I live. The blood of Jesus Christ takes care of it. Gandhi said, this can't be right. That when you, if you're a Christian, and you follow the teachings of your creator, that you go on and living in sin. It can't be right. Even as a Hindu, he had that much discernment. And later in life, Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christian." He, he, he refused to even consider Christianity after that because of the bad influence of that so-called Christian missionary. Our life, when our life sh tells people that, that I don't mind living in sin, we come across to those who see us and know us with a confusing message. 
If, if when we profess to be Christians and our life does, and our life says, no, that man is not a Christian, it comes across with a confusing message that instead of drawing people to our Savior, turns them away. That's, that's something we need to be aware of. Uh, when we choose life, I know for myself, for a long time, it was, it was uh, uh, I didn't see people as I should have, as a living soul that will stand before God in judgment sometime, whenever their time comes. That's what each, each and every single human being is. And, and when our life and our words send a different message, it's confusion instead of a, instead of a, a, of a light. Instead of being a light. Okay. God has put every single one of us here. And we have to make the, our choice. Each one of us has to make the choice. Uh, because. One way or another. At the end of a. At the end of however long a period of time you want to specify, you will still be in existence somewhere. Every one of us will be. It's like, it's like God put, uh, uh, put the life in us and from this point on, we're eternal beings. And we have to make our choice and choose to serve Him I, I thought of trying to, uh, trying to somewhat explain and the difference between those who are lost and those who are saved. And I don't know if I could, at, at the best I could do, it would just be a feeble glimpse of the whole truth. The best I could do. It'd be very feeble. It's like looking through a dark glass, like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and you can make out some, but you, you will not get anywhere close to all of it. But the prospect of entering eternity on the wrong side should light a, a fire under every single one of us. The prospect, the danger that if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, the enemy is going to confuse us. The enemy is going to bluff us. The enemy is going to some kind of a trick that will that will put us on his side if if we just if we're careless, if we are like the Laodiceans, lukewarm instead of instead of earnest in our in our profession, in our walk, in our in our life. <clears throat> And we go through life, especially children enjoy when a birthday comes around and they get a year older. Uh, after, after we get on a little bit beyond that, it, it's not, it doesn't mean too much whether, whether a, a birthday comes or not because they seem to speed up anyway uh, and they come around quicker than they used to. But that... Birthdays are like a mile marker. When we drive down the highway, a lot of highways have mile markers, especially the bigger ones. They have a mile marker. 
And they tell us how far we've come, but they do not tell us how far we have to go yet. We, we have no way of knowing. And it's, it's good that we don't. And uh, I used to think back and, and sometimes sort of wish I could go back, but anymore I have lost that desire to go back uh, and be a child and grow up and go through life again. I've lost that. I think we all will, the more we grasp of the time and of, of, uh, of everything, we lose our desire to go back. Even though it would be good if we could go back and redo some things, we, that's not possible. All we can do is confess and accept the forgiveness and go from here. That's all we can do. We can't go back and, and change things. I'm not saying we can't go back. If we have wronged someone and we need to confess it and make it right, sure, we can go back and do that. But to go back in our life, we all know that. We can't go back and change things way back there. We can't put life in reverse. And, and, we, and I don't think... Uh, when we really consider it, that we, that we even want to. Uh, in, in Psalms 90, he says, if, starting verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood, they are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. It flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. <clears throat> and over in verse 10, for the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Jonathan Edwards was a man's couple hundred years ago, lived in this country, I, I don't know just where, but I, I read some of his writings. One thing he says, he's, that his constant prayer was, and it's a good thing for every single one of us, his constant prayer was, stamp eternity on my eyeballs, so that whatever I see, I see it through the lens, from the viewpoint of eternity. Whatever I look at, that this is, this, this is the way I look at it, from the viewpoint of eternity. And, and then when you get, if, by doing that, Jonathan Edwards was the man who, uh, from what I read, he was not an impressive speaker, but he, he was, he's famous for the, his, service, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the Spirit worked while he delivered that sermon. They said his, his delivery was not impressive at all. He, but the Spirit worked so that people hung on to the pews of the church, afraid it, it, it awoke a fear in them that the, that the floor would open up and they'd drop into hell right there. Uh, his his, his uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, <clears throat> I've got a few more scriptures here I'd like to go to. 
One thing that I, that I wanted to point out, I uh, should maybe have done it to start with, but uh, no matter, uh, and that is the ignorance and the unconcern that's in our time uh, about things like God and His Word and His will. There's just an unbelievable ignorance. And the biggest problem is associated with it is that there's an unconcern. Like a, like a man said, uh, approached a man on the street and said, what are the two biggest problems in, the, in our time in the world? And, and the, the guy answered, I don't know and I don't care. He said, you've got them both. Ignorance and unconcern are, are the two biggest problems. You've got both of them. <clears throat> okay. We have to make our choice. Uh, and our choice here, who we will serve, determines our determines our destiny in eternity. And and our choice, I should maybe say, we have to make our choice every single day. Every day that God gives us, we have to, we, we, I should maybe not say have to, but we want to, we will. Okay. Talking about going through life, there's only one thing that's worse than going through life as a Laodicean. And being set on the left-hand side when we get there. Being lost when we get there. There's only one thing worse than that. And that is going through life self-deceived and thinking we're, we're saved and getting there and finding out we're not. This should inspire a zeal in each one of us. Uh, this should inspire a concern that, uh, that results in, in, in a commitment and prayer and, and not let, uh, I, I should maybe say, a desperation. Jesus said, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I think that's the kind of thing he was talking about. A real deep concern and at the same time, not the, not the thought that I can make myself, I can justify myself by my righteous works, anything like that, but that I have a concern for his glory. I have a concern. I walk in a, we, we sometimes don't stress enough uh, there was a good point made here in the beginning about thankfulness. We sometimes don't stress enough the, the need. We should not go through life with, with a long face uh, and, and a kind of attitude that turns everybody off and says, if that's, if that's what Christianity is like, then I don't want any part in it. At the same time, that that's the wrong attitude, uh, just a light-minded, a light-minded uh, Jesting or whatever is not Christian either. But we should be able to take joy in the fact of our salvation in spite of all whatever suffering we might meet. There's an underlying joy that, that can't be taken away of us by away from us by 
the outward circumstances. Uh, I said in the beginning, I want to, uh, one of the things I want to promote is, uh, or point out, is the beauty of the Word of God, uh, the power of the Word of God. Years ago, I memorized what it says in, in Hebrews 4.12, uh, where he says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But I didn't notice till just a few years ago that it also says, Neither is there any creature. It goes right on to say, Without a hitch, without a... Uh, I can't think of the word I'd like to use. Uh, <coughs> Seamlessly, it goes from, from this uh, to speaking of, of the word as a living being. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And then I noticed, when I, when I noticed that, I noticed in other places where it speaks of the Scripture. It says, the Scripture preached unto Pharaoh. It speaks of the Scripture. The writing, Scripture means writings. It speaks of it as being a living being, a living creature. And Jesus Christ identifies himself with, with the written word. So... Uh, uh, and, and he makes no big difference. So when, if we love, if we respect, if we reverence God, this, this, this book, this, this Bible will become very important to us. I've heard people say, well, we don't worship the, the Bible. Well, no, not as paper and ink, but the one who gave us the Bible. And, and I'm finding that the, there are so many things in the Word that are just mind-blowing. Uh, I want to, I'd like to point out a few, but uh, let's go on first. Uh, the power of the word. To change people. That's one of the biggest things that testifies to the, to the inspiration of the word. The, the way it will change a human being, even unbelievers, even, even in, uh, you can ask unbelievers, they admit that the Word of God does more to change and beautify the character of a human being when it's followed than a university education. It's like, it's like the Apostles in Acts where it says they took knowledge of them. They were, they were, they were amazed, you might say. At, at, they saw the boldness of these people. And, and they knew that they... Peter had just got done saying when they asked him, <laughs> this always amuses me, when they had set them in their midst, that was after healing the guy that had never walked and was around 40 years old. By what power or by what name have you done this? And it always amuses me. They were asking for it, and Peter, <laughs> Peter opened his mouth, and, and he told them, <laughs> just plain black and white, this is, this is what happened. And he said, uh, they... I think if they'd have realized what they're asking, they would have phrased it some other way to not, to, not, uh, to not be hit by the truth like this. 
Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. It always amuses me how they asked for it, and he gave it to them. Plain black and white. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And then it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's the big thing for you and for me and everyone. To, that, that our life, our words, our actions show that we have been with Jesus. That's the, that's, that's the biggest thing. That's the power of the word. It has, it has the power to change people, and it does. And that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest, there are lots of other things that show that there was a divine, supernatural mind behind this book. But that is one of the most powerful ones. The way it changes people when they, when they accept and believe. Uh, I said I want to point out a few. Uh, there are two right here in the, in the beginning of the Bible. I've got some... some I uh, got my hands on a on a, several books of of Hebrew, and there are there are just a number of things that that are not translatable, and uh, like one of the first Hebrew is different from other languages. Hebrew is, has three layers of meaning: the 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 plain open text, the written words, and then each letter has a meaning, and then each letter is also a number. So you got three layers in Hebrew. I take it that this is the language that was spoken in the garden. This is the language God designed. That's, that's, uh, I really have no doubt. But uh, uh, when you take the first word, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You take the Hebrew word, Beginning. I think it's just the, the word beginning. In beginning. And you read it letter by letter. It says something like this. The Son of God is destroyed by his own hand willingly on a cross. Is the meaning that the letters give you when you read the letters just letter by letter. So there in the first word of the, of the Old Testament you have the gospel. It starts there. There's another thing that's about the same. When you read the, the names of the patriarchs are transliterated. And I, they, these kinds of things are fascinating to me. Uh, and part of the reason they're, they're fascinating, just simply the way the book's put together, shows a divine supernatural mind. Uh, when you read the names of the patriarchs from Adam to Noah, 
it comes out like this. The names are just transliterated, which, is, which means they're brought over uh, basically the same pronunciation as they had in Hebrew. But when you read it by the meaning, what the name means, it's Adam, Seth, Enos, Kainan, Mahalaleel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Read it word name by name. It says something like this. Man is appointed. We've got that man, Adam, and then Seth was, it says, it calls him, they call him Seth because he was appointed to take the place of, of Abel. Man appointed mortal sorrow. And those two names, I don't know why the, those people chose names like that. Uh, like uh, mortal sorrow. Uh, we don't use words like that for a name. But that's, that's what those names say. And then it says, the blessed God shall come down teaching. At his death, he gives the sparing rest. That is basically the gospel in, in those names. The blessed God shall come down teaching. At his death, he gives the despairing rest. When I, when I find something like that, it blows my mind. Uh, and, and for me, when I was growing up, and I'd like to throw this out just to encourage everybody, when I was growing up, I didn't have uh, the kind of... of I'm not sure how I should say it. Uh, if I asked questions of some of the older boys or so on about something, I enjoyed reading and I, I enjoyed science. I didn't, I didn't spend much time in reading storybooks, just, just storybooks, novels or fiction or so on. I enjoyed science uh, and, and astronomy and a few things like that, especially. And if I had questions... I didn't get answers like I should have. If I asked some of the others uh, about something, well, they, they would, they would probably, uh, especially long ages, the teaching of evolution and so on, they, I would get answers something like, uh, uh, that's science. Science is evolution, and that's not true. Don't, don't pay any attention to it. Well, I knew better than that, but I, I really didn't have any satisfying answers uh, and I think that's more important than we're apt to realize that children have have answers to their questions when they when they because you can't go through life without being bombarded if you read anything at all you're going to be bombarded by the idea that the earth has been here for so many billions or billions of years and it's it's all false it's a theory with no foundation under it it's so far impossible even, even people who accept that teaching, like Francis Crick, he was one of the discoverers of DNA, and he, he ran some calculations. What's the possibility of this, of this molecule coming together by random chance? And he came up with such a, such a big number, we can't, there's no way we can grasp the number, the odds against it, any more than we can grasp eternity with our finite mind. We can't. We can't get there. Uh, just to, just to illustrate a bit, 
if you could count every atom of matter, you know, everything's made up of atoms. If you could count every atom of matter in the entire known universe, you, you would be so far from the number that he calculated the odds are against this forming by chance. You would need a hundred million universes and count all the atoms in all of them to be somewhere in the neighborhood. That's so impossible it's not even worth... We, we just need to grasp it's totally beyond the realm of something that could happen. But that is the foundation. The theory is built on that without... Uh, students in school are brainwashed to think that they came from animals. Uh, and that sets up that sets up a barrier in their mind that they have to deal with to realize that is false before they can really come to where they can really believe that the Word of God is the truth. It is so far, so far beyond the realm of something that could possibly be that no one in his right mind would accept the odds of that if they were to go to, to go uh, buy a ticket for a lottery. If the odds were anything. Nobody would buy a ticket, but they stake their eternal soul on that chance. It's the human, be human beings, the reasoning of human beings is sometimes in some areas like that is beyond grasp. Okay, I want, to I want to throw out something else about the importance of this word. Down through the dark ages, uh, as, as time went on in the first thousand years and what we call the dark ages, came when the apostate church took the word of God away from the people. That brought in what we know as the dark ages. And some part of that time it was so dark, the apostate church really didn't care for anything but to have the people under control. And when somebody got, somebody got his hand on the Bible and their eyes opened, and uh, then they, they, they refused to submit to the apostate church. So they would burn the, the person and the Bible when they could. But it became so dark that there was a period of time that, that if a baby was born, for an example, they waited to give the baby a name till it turned seven years old. Uh, they figured if it, if it survives to seven, uh, then it'll probably be okay. and It'll probably make it. They waited seven years to give a child a name when a child was born uh, because of that. And in Europe, in, in England, I meant to say, England was in, a, in dark ages, uh, in the, in the 16, late 1600s, 1700s. And it was, it was, things became so dark that... God raised up the Wesleys, Charles and John, uh, and, and they went out preaching and, and spread the light of the gospel. Uh, it got to the point, Charles Wesley recorded that, that he, he went to prisons to minister to prisoners many a time. And he recorded that in prisons, he, there was many a time when he... He, when he was in prison, that he saw on death row children as young as 10 years old. On death row. They, they, they tried to control the people by passing laws. Stricter and stricter laws. And they put the death penalty on. 
getting an apple off a neighbor's tree. If the neighbor prosecuted you, the, the, the sentence prescribed was the death penalty. Or killing a rabbit on your neighbor's land. Both of those, the death penalty. And, and, and when people are hungry, that kind of thing is pretty sure to happen. When people are really suffering hunger, he said more than once he saw children as young as 10 years old on death row. But when, when the light of the gospel came in there and changed the society from the bottom up, that kind of thing, that kind of injustice was changed. That is, what, that is the power of the Word of God. Things like that are the power of the Word of God. Down in Louisiana, there's a prison, which, which again illustrates this thing. It, it was the most dangerous penitentiary in the U.S. years ago. It was the most dangerous in the U.S. And it was so that if they put someone in, they gave him a knife so he could defend himself. Imagine that. They gave him a knife, and it finally got to the point where the authorities that were running the prison were at their wit's end. They didn't know what to do. Uh, they said the, the halls were splattered with blood, the ceilings and the walls, there was blood in a lot of places through that prison. And then, while they were trying to figure out how to get this thing under control, there was a man there that said, I will take and, and manage the prison if you will let me do it my way. And they were desperate enough, they said, okay. The first thing he did was order like 6,000 Bibles, put a Bible in every cell, start holding Bible studies every day, and the atmosphere of the prison changed. They say it changed from gangs of murderers to gangs of Bible students. The whole atmosphere of the prison changed. It, after some time, it came to the point where neither staff nor inmates permitted any profanity. If you used, if you used profanity there, they would call you down, rebuke you. It came to the point where at the end of so long, several years, it, they said it came to the point where you could take the prettiest girl you could find anywhere and walk her through the halls and you would not hear one lewd remark or wolf whistle or anything. You would not hear anything out of the way. It came to that point and, and one of the young men was asked he was leading a Bible study, and there was a visitor there, and he asked him, how long are you in for? He said, for life. How do you feel about that? I'm fine with that. I had to come in here before I found freedom. So I'm fine with being here the rest of my life. My parents are outside. They think they're free, but they're not. They're bound. I'm inside the walls here and I'm free. That, that is an illustration of the power 
of this word. That illustrates the power of the word of God. It's one of the real good illustrations, how it could change, change the whole atmosphere in the prison. The beauty, the power of this word, this book. Like I said, when I say this book, I'm, I'm not excluding the Spirit of God that works through this book. And we have this. We have this in our time. Longer ago, the enemy, the devil, tried to take the book away from people by force. And he couldn't succeed. He couldn't ultimately succeed. Now, since then, he takes a different tactic. He, he, he works through trying to take away our desire, our hunger, our interest in the Word. And that's, that's where we need to be on guard, that we don't let him take it away from us. If we let him take it away from us, we'll be Laodiceans on the, on, on, on going to a destination that we didn't want to go to. He can't take it away by force. When I say that, I'm not, I'm not saying that somebody has no chance. If, like, like Wormbrand, for an example, he spent years in prison and he didn't have, couldn't have access to the word. God can preserve people in those situations. But if we just are careless and don't care, our attitude is Laodicean. And, and we're going the wrong way. Any culture, any person, any nation that turns its back on the Word of God is going down into barbarism. Our ancestors over in Europe were barbarians. What does that, what does that mean? A barbarian, <coughs> they, were, they were evil. They practiced evil things. Uh, they ran around, you might say, naked and painted. And we now, in this country, are going down that track where people run around naked and painted. We're, we're becoming barbarians. And it doesn't take a bunch of generations to become a barbarian if you turn your back on the Word of God, on God and His Word. It doesn't take a long time. One generation, even just a small part of one generation, is sufficient. <clears throat> and, and as a country, as a culture, We are all too much going, and, and I'm not going to say it's hopeless, uh, because I have seen more than once in my life, I have seen when there were people that, that, that I concluded they're in darkness to the point where it's hopeless. I've seen that more than once, that then something would happen, and, and somebody there would realize that we are really in darkness, and they'll wake up, and there'll be a there will be a, a bright, shining light coming out of that darkness. So we can't just write off people or churches or so on because there's a lot of ignorance and darkness there. But I guess a scripture comes to my mind that says, uh, 
let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine in this way to bring glory to God. You have a light. Every single one of us has a light that is shown by our words, our actions, our reactions, and so on. Every single one of them. We go through life. I said there's a, there, there's, there's a lot of ignorance, and that's true. Uh, we don't have to be, we don't have to be ignorant. It's, it's not a good, it's not a good testimony. When, our, when, when we show our ignorance of the Word of God. In Corinthians he says, uh, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to use this scripture to, as sort of as a, as a wrap-up. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. If you want to be a lover of God, the only thing that I know of that I could recommend that our part to do, we are here on earth uh, uh, to be in a, our life is to be a process of sanctification. In other words, uh, in Romans, in Romans, he says, and this is Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is a scriptural predestination. He works on you to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, when we say sanctification, sanctification means to, to be made a saint. And I often don't feel much like a saint. I, I, I sort of feel out of place to think of myself as a saint. But if we're not a saint, the other options are very good. We're to, be, we're, we're to be becoming more and more saintly and let that light shine in the world around us. <clears throat> I don't accept the, 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 the doctrine of predestination as it's taught in a lot of churches, uh, especially some of the denom denominations in our culture. But, but this kind of predestination is the truth. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I want to take my seat. And if, if I said something that wasn't right, bring it, set it right. <clears throat> 